Hello and welcome to A Cinematic Journey, our podcast where we explore the themes, scenes, and elements of the films that we love. I am your host, Peter Billingsley, alongside... My name is Nick Shang. Welcome, Nick. Uh, it's nice to be here. It's great to be here. Today's movie um, has so many great things about it. Uh, and interestingly, the first director of this movie actually quit. And the director who replaced him had never directed a feature film before. This film was based on a short story for the National Lampoon. That's right. And the favorite scene in the movie uh, was proposed to be cut by the studio. By always by the studio. It's always by the studio. Studio notes. We talk about a lot. Yep. Um, <clears throat> the movie we're talking about, of course, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <sighs> Look at it. It really is beautiful, clock. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beautiful, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. <laughs> the three are the symbol of the spirit of the Griswold family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? Christmas Wish. So this is the third installment in the vacation series, After Vacation, European Vacation. And right out the gate, we're back with the Griswold family, we, Clark Griswold. Yep, we love the Griswolds. We know them well, even though the kids rotate a little bit. But yes, uh, we the love the family. change every time, but they still feel like the Griswold kids. And Clark is just oozing with Christmas spirit. Right. We open on a scene. He's so <laughs> full of Christmas that he literally almost kills his family to get a Christmas tree. That's right. He gets stuck under a semi-truck. At every turn, he's humming Christmas songs. He's the guy we love. He's the ultimate family man. Right. I mean, when they get out from under the trailer and land in the Christmas lot, he just says, hey, we made great time. Because everything, the glass is always half full with Clark. Holding it all together is his lovely, loving wife who, above all else, loves this guy. And That's right. And also, he's really excited. He's been busting his hump this year, and it's bonus time. It's the end of the year, and he is going to take the bonus that he's going to get and put it down as a deposit, which he's already done on a swimming pool. For who? For his whole family to enjoy this summer. I mean, the man's a lightning rod for problems, and this time <laughs> that lightning rod is on top of their house. So that leads us to the central question of this movie. Let's take a look. Did I tell you I talked to my mother today? And? and? They've decided they're coming for Christmas, too. You know, it's not too late to change our plans. No, 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 that's great. Say- Christmas is about resolving differences and seeing through the petty problems of family life. Yeah. And it's about my mother accusing your mother of buying cheap hot dogs and your mother accusing my mother of waxing her upper lip and then they don't speak Your mother to waxes other. her upper lip? She has for years. Doesn't show. I don't know, Sparky. I just have this feeling that it's not gonna. I want to have Christmas here in our house. It means a lot to me. All my life, I've wanted to have a big family Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's just that I know how you build things up in your mind, Sparky. You set standards that no family event can ever live up to. When have I ever done that? Parties, weddings, anniversaries, funerals, holidays, vacations. I mean, so many great things about that. I think that first of all, that scene is literally one shot. It's a testament to the actors and how good they are that they're holding that frame. There's not one edit in that entire scene. Yeah, they're 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 right in the moment. 
Yeah, and it's baked with a lot of sort of small physical comedy. But really the central question that this movie is posing is, can Clark pull off the perfect family Christmas under his roof, something that he's wanted for his whole life? And also, what is a good Christmas? What does that look like? Yeah, I like the question, what is a perfect family Christmas? And it's different for every family, but it's also the same for every family. Yeah, and he kind of lays it out. You know, he says it's resolving petty differences and people getting along, but we're getting the sense that that's not necessarily going to be the case here. Right, and by the end of this, all these people piled into his house, it's like the box of chocolates of the bunch of the kind you squeeze to the bottom and don't want to <laughs> yeah. eat, and they're all stuck <laughs> you together. You just take a bite of it and then put it back. <laughs> exactly. Um, and also, I think you get the sense that Again, on character, he's an eternal optimist, even waxing the lip. You know, he says, oh, really? I didn't even notice. Yeah. Everything he sees is on the bright side. That glass is always half full. And for Ellen, she's just nervous that this thing is not going to go right. And she's warning him that time and time again at all these family events, you strive to perfection can often derail everything. This season, if you find yourself hosting Christmas and wanting to put on the perfect holiday, don't worry. Because Walmart's got everything you could possibly want. It doesn't matter if you're trying to put up 25,000 lights mm -mm. or just a couple of setups of lights. They've got everything you want. And you know when that relative shows up uninvited, last minute, maybe a little needy, maybe they don't have all the resources to kind of get something that they want? Maybe like they don't. Cousin Eddie? Maybe they don't have any money and you have to go buy their presents. Don't worry about it. And it's last minute. No sweat because the delivery from Walmart can handle all your problems right on the spot. Right. And you don't have to go cut down your own tree. Walmart sells trees. Not, and Listen. not just artificial trees, as you just pointed out. No, Where did true you get story. your tree this year? I got my tree this year at Walmart. That's a true story. And it's awesome. A live tree. It's a live tree. I mean, it's technically dead now because it's been cut, but it's like a real tree. Yeah. His life gave it, it gave its life <laughs> it gave for gave its life for my family to enjoy our Christmas tree from Walmart. Thousands of gifts and amazing savings at walmart.com. Ellen's Take. So we have a very special guest here with us today, and we're excited to welcome her here to the show. Of course, she plays Ellen Griswold in this movie. The heart had of the movie. such a long, illustrious career. The great Beverly D'Angelo. Welcome, Hi. Beverly. Hi, Peter. Hi, yeah, nice It's a pleasure you. to meet you. I know you guys are old friends. Yes, we are. I had heard that you referred to... Um, the vacation series as romantic comedies. I always thought that. Why? I always viewed those movies as romantic comedies. It was just me. Because in uh, looking at the role and in figuring out what was what, um, I saw the through line of love and that this woman was devoted to this man and devoted to her family. And this was a romantic adventure they were having in her eyes. And she went along with it to, to, to make it all be okay. But I've just always, for me, the through line is love. It is for me in life and it is for me in this movie. And so what's more romantic than love? He, another thing about Christmas Vacation that's very special, John Hughes wrote it. Yes. And his touch, he, he wrote the first one too. And it's John Hughes, that brilliant genius from Chicago, who had those Midwestern values. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. It's a Midwestern value. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota. The, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where, were, where were you born? I was born in New York City. Do oh, well, not here's, have those Midwestern values. You're, you're, you're a sophisticate. <laughs> okay, you're a sophisticate. Um, but, uh, you know, he he had that, that, that love is the answer. Writer, director, icon. Our good friend, 
and producing partner Vince Vaughn, uh, became very good friends with John Hughes before he passed away. Right, still uh, friends with his family. That's correct. He's still very close to his son, John. But he got to know John very well. And as a result of that, they had a lot of really intimate conversations about work and movies. And John shared a lot of insights with Vince, um, just about who he was as a person, his process, and kind of a lot of stuff that he did on films. You know, we're, we're looking at this movie, which is about Clark Griswold, sort of the ultimate family man. Right. Right, who's really devoted to his wife and his children. John was very much that same guy and literally created a writing schedule so that he could maximize the time with his family. So his writing schedule was he would put his kids to bed at night, say around eight o'clock, he would tuck them in, have dinner with them, and he would start writing. He would write all through the night until the sun came up and it was time to wake up his kids for school. He would get his kids up, have breakfast with them, take them to school, spend that time, drop them off, come home, then go to sleep. Amazing. He would sleep all during the day, then would wake up when they came home, spend that afternoon, homework time, dinner time, which would ramp right back into writing again. So literally created this entire schedule <clears throat> to maximize because so many of us obviously work the opposite all day, miss, can miss breakfast. I mean, there's been times I've left home before my kids are up and I've come home after they're asleep. He stayed connected to his family. It made him a better writer obviously it made him a better father but it kept him grounded yeah keep you know you're true to yourself you know and, and instead of getting eaten alive by the machine or drowning in it you are smart enough to insulate yourself so you are a better writer and a better director yeah you wrote grand torino in a bar right i wrote grand torino in a bar um yeah i was dry i was doing construction and after after hours i would go in there and, and just write longhand with a pen so it didn't seem very serious Mm -hmm. My friend was a bartender and um, some of the jokes came right from uh, my friend Tim Kennedy in Grumpy's Bar in Northeast Minneapolis. And he was also able to raise his family in a suburb of Illinois. He was able to achieve this greatness by not even living in Los Angeles or New York City, which certainly back then was always the thing. You have to be here to be successful. Right. So John proved all that wrong. Um, started in advertising. Absolutely. And then I think with the advertising too, is sometimes you'd get right to the point or you just are That's able right. to disseminate what exactly something is. And I'm sure that was invaluable to, you know, not just, you know, whole yeah, movies, if you but think scenes. about it, it's like a sentence in a magazine or it's, you've got 30 seconds in a commercial to tell an entire story. So he could get, and he referred to his movie making style as, or how he came up with his concepts. He'd say, I would take a relatable situation. Right. And then say, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like a uh, 16-year-old girls, it's her birthday and... What's the worst thing that could happen? They forget it. Exactly. You're left home alone, which has happened. You know, growing up earlier, a lot of us were home. What's the worst thing that could happen? Burglars show up. Right. In this series, Vacation, simple concept. They want to go on a great family vacation to Wally World. What's the worst thing that can happen? It's closed. So here's a great way in to grab an audience and make you feel like you're watching something that's super relatable. And then the twist in the movie is always the worst thing that can happen. Here's what he's written and directed to this point. 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, the, the holy shit of movies. The, right you in take a pile. any three of those, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, let alone all these. In addition, mm -hmm. he had written Mr. Mom, Pretty in Pink, Vacation, the Great Outdoors. And he's prepping Uncle Buck, and oh, we know what that became. Prepping Uncle Buck along with a few other possibles. That's right. To say this guy is 
at the height of his career is an understatement. And he already has these under his belt. There was a lot more to come with him. Um, he had written for The Lampoon. And this was sort of, I guess, maybe a subversive kind of very cool comedy paper where you had a lot of freedom to write stuff. So, I mean, this would not be allowed today. What would be determined as politically incorrect back then was just funny. Right, and different was, looks, perspectives, and points of views on things. And it was sort of a Midwest look, a lot of these things, that a lot of people on the coasts kind of it didn't land in their radar. Who will drive the sleigh? This movie had an interesting uh, journey to getting a filmmaker on board. So it was written by John Hughes, but right. he was not able to direct this movie. And so they move ahead, so they got to find a director. John found this guy named Chris Columbus, who he liked, who was currently in what we call director jail. So he had directed Adventures in Babysitting. Which was a big hit and put him on the map. That's right. And then he directed Heartbreak Hotel. Which put him in, as you said, director's jail. Right. You being a director, can you explain a little bit what yeah. director- Okay, so director's jail is like your, you know, Hollywood can be brutal, it can be challenging. You're only as good as the last thing you've done, right? So in this case, he had one good one, his last one was a bomb. But I will say, you know, people say, wow, that's just so harsh. It's not unlike other businesses or other worlds, right? A quarterback, you throw four interceptions, you're probably getting benched. Right. Even if you threw seven touchdowns the game prior, this is sort of how it works. You're only as good as your last thing. Not only is Chris in director's jail, he is currently living in his in-law's house, sleeping on the couch. He needs a job. And along comes a magical script. Christmas Vacation, written by John Hughes, a greenlit movie at a major studio with Chevy Chase. Right, here we go. Here we go. This is the answer to all of our problems. So John says, okay, go you know, go meet with the star. That's what you do. You sit down, you break some bread, let's bond. So he goes to dinner with Chevy Chase. The dinner does not go well. Um, I guess they were oil and water, <laughs> to the point where the guy who's living on his in-law's couch comes back to John Hughes and says, I'm sorry, I just can't do this. I, I need the job. I love you, but I just can't do this. So John says, okay, come on. Chevy Chase, you know, I've worked with him. Just go back, have another dinner. Right. Please. It's Hollywood. Just we want you for this movie. He says, okay, goes back, comes back again and says, I can't do it. This was yeah. not going to be a positive experience. So Chris is out. They need a filmmaker and they need one quick. Yep. So they start handicapping different guys. They're looking at different things. And it leads them to a guy named Jeremiah Chechik. Jeremiah had only done commercials and some music videos. That's right. But the odd thing is Stanley Kubrick, the maestro, Stanley Kubrick. Yes, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Ends up being quoted in the New York Times as saying Jeremiah Chechik is the face of, a, he's the pinnacle of American filmmaking right now because of a Hollow Notes video and a couple of beer commercials. So So this gets everyone in town calling him Spielberg. Everyone's calling Jeremiah. Everyone takes notice, including John Hughes. Interesting thing about Jeremiah too, he's like his stuff has sort of dark tones to them. You know, they're sort of brooding music videos and kind of darkish commercials, more noir, I right. guess, style, if you will. Definitely not comedy, but this did not scare John. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is Chechik had came on, but he had never even seen the first two National Lampoon. Yeah, I know he claimed that. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe he was kind of like, oh, I don't need to see these movies. It's so funny in Hollywood sometimes, like being a director is a huge, high-profile, big job, and right. it's the only job I know of that's that that level where you become a director just by saying so. It's like I'm 
well, I'm the director. Oh, he's directing now. Right. And that doesn't, you wake up one day and you go, I'm now a director. Yeah. And, pe and people, that's true. And people say it. And it's like, you can't do that being a pilot. You know, it's like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a pilot. And it's like, it's like, I'm not getting on that plane. No, you're not. You, <laughs> no, you, you live by not. the airport. You're not a pilot. <laughs> right, right, right. You but, have to actually train. But anyways, he came on and away we went. Perfect. Now change everything. So Jeremiah is stepping into a good situation. He has this Titan John Hughes who's written a script, can't be there every day, but is now sort of given the keys to the kingdom with this movie to him. They would, some of these guys on a new director would try to slip in notes. It happens every single time. And so as they tried to lean into Jeremiah to get what the studio wanted, he would just push back and say, well, let me run past John Hughes. And yeah. they was like, oh, no, no, no. And I saw some of that on Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood, where they would try to slip me some notes, which were absolutely crazy. And I would have to push back. But, you know, when it's just me and it's my first film, it, they think they can twist you. But So they had notes like, does he have to be so racist to the... Other kids have to be so racist. Do do his? Does he have to be so mean to his kids? Does he have to smoke? And does he have to die? So these were the studio notes. Those that they tried to slip to you, right? And so I would just say the same thing. I'd say, well, you know, I'll, let me think about it, but let me run that past Clint. Whoa, 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 whoa! And that that went away. But Clint actually said he said, well, I, yeah, I can do whatever you want, but I'll just bring it to another studio. And, and that was say, well, maybe those aren't the best ideas. I mean, was, it's just like literally the entire DNA of that movie is their note. Can we eliminate? The like, amazing things about the movie. Like we said, like the studio notes. Like, yeah, does he have rip to not the die? guts out of these? I mean, the studio people, it seems like they take one class on film structure and then they apply it to comedy and it doesn't really work anymore. No, or, it or, doesn't. Or they don't um, respect the material where they laugh at a joke on the script once and then the second time they don't laugh, so they want you to change or it. Or they'll give a note like it's it's unlikable. Well, or will all, make someone unlikable. Means, or it might make someone uncomfortable. God forbid. God forbid. Because um, that's what comedy is all about. Is that's that, the whole point of it. Is that yeah. we get on? Is that it makes us uncomfortable, but we laugh through that discomfort to make us feel better. And Absolutely. Relate. So Jeremiah talked about on this movie the value of having sort of that two hundred pound gorilla, the guy that you can say, okay, sure. Sounds good. Let me just run it by John. Well, they didn't want that problem. John had made, obviously, a lot of money for the studio. He carried a big stick. And even though he wasn't able to be directing this movie, still wielded a lot of power. You know, I've been fortunate to have that with my good pal Vince sometimes. <laughs> They'll try to slip me the notes. You know, they, they they always try to go to what they think is maybe the the softest spot. The lame wildebeest. The lame wildebeest. The studio. And they'll always send like a little henchman or a messenger in and they'll always do it in a hey. way that's like, you know, hey, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, hey, we're just being pals. You know, I was thinking, you know, we were kind of looking at the script last night and you think he has to be hey. so, well, you think it's kind of unlikable. It's like unlikable. No, I mean, the whole movie's about his growth. Can he be slightly flawed in act one? Isn't that the point of it? Yep. Well, I just say, okay, well, yeah, let me just run up by Vince. Whoa, 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 wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hey, let me just talk to the studio. So you just always get this sense that they're pushing a product. So it's nice to have that. And I think the other thing John liked about Jeremiah was he said, you know, I like the script. I'm going to stick to the script. There wasn't a need to improv. You trust it. You trust the script. You hear about this a lot, and people ask me, do you guys improv, and is that a big deal? I mean, first of all, improv is really tough to do. Really hard, a lot harder than people think. There are some experts at it. The other thing is you've spent, in some cases, years staring at every word on the page to get them perfect, had everybody sign on to this project and say, we love it. And then it's like on the, the morning of, you're just going to change it all without thinking about the repercussions. I was thinking about this, be like, you know, you, you're opening a restaurant, you've planned this menu, it's perfect, 
And then someone's like, you know, I thought we could just start throwing some avocado in the soup. Right. Where's the ketchup? Swapping this out. Where's the ketchup? Dumping this. It's like, no, it works for a reason. This script was sort of built that way. Inspired by mom and crossing the line. Ellen and Clark are born out of the chemistry that Chevy and I have. It's not like we slip into those roles, but there's something about our brains that makes it very easy to go into the Clark. I am Ellen, you know, we're going to the <laughs> National Monument. We just, if there's something about our chemistry. We're comfortable with those. We're suburban kids, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, there's, it's our chemistry that made those people. It really shows. I learned it from my mother. My mother and father, I grew up witnessing a great love affair. Uh, they got married young. They had four kids before my dad was even 29. My mother was really a traditional woman who put her heart and soul into her husband mm. primarily and her family. She ran the family for him so he could succeed. And my father went, was a musician when I was born. And then by the time I was 15, was a very successful and wealthy broadcasting executive because of my mother. And my mother always said, and I use this always for the Ellen Griswold, that as long as it adds up to a hundred, it doesn't matter who gives what. That's so sometimes you have to give one, and sometimes you might even have to give 100, but sometimes you only have to give 99, as long as it all adds up That's to a whole thing. In fact, this is so much, that Ellen Griswold is so much a tribute to my mother that in Vegas vacation, uh, when Clark and Ellen get remarried, he says to her, do you, Priscilla Ruth Smith Griswold, take me to, I had, her name was Priscilla Ruth Smith, so oh, how I put cool. that in, yeah. Yeah, that, Ellen Priscilla. That must have made your mom yeah. feel great. I'll give you an example. But we have to talk about Christmas vacation, right? Not the first one. No, it's fine. Go, tell me. Well, here's an example, okay? So when we did the first one, you know, um, it was a much bigger deal that Christy Brinkley was in it than me. I don't even know if I had starring billing. And the role was a very subservient role. It was not a flashy thing. But... I knew uh, Harold Ramis was brilliant and I had an idea of what I wanted to do because I knew my mother, right? And where things shifted and where I really locked in Ellen Griswold was that scene where Ellen goes out into the balcony from their hotel room mm -hmm. and she sees Chevy in the pool with Christy. Mm -hmm. And as written, he was supposed to walk into the room and I'm supposed to throw shoes at him or just you know it's like a fight and i'm supposed to and it said you know she shrieks you know she yells you know do you love her is that what you want well i'll show you fun you know it's like a big tirade right and i said to harold you know what i we have a long way to go in the movie and if we get to that height and then resolve it it's going to be hard to you know it's like that's a lot of and I said, and I just don't think she's, I think that this is the only man she's ever loved. It's the only man she's ever made love to. It's her college sweetheart. And I think it's literal. I think she says, do you love that girl? Like, mm, like, yeah. like she's looking at her and saying, oh, like now he's going to marry her because right. they're naked in a pool. Right. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that, that That's kind great. of innocence and, and informed by her love for him. So I said, she, she, when, when she's not rejecting him, she, she wants to know. And when she says, to, uh, is that, if you think that's so much fun, I'll show you some fun. It's not like, I'll show you some fun. It's right. like, 
I can do it too. Mm-hmm. I know there are all those, uh, you know, because that's a wife's role. Like, you know, the wife has the man that she loves and there are other women in his life because they're mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, men, and certainly that time we made it, you know, they're entitled to have, you know, the attention of women more than than, than a married woman was in that era. That, well, yeah. we, we were talking about this yesterday, this sort of runner of beautiful woman it's even in christmas vacation the lingerie saleswoman right yep and it's the gag a it's a bold thing to do because maybe you would say oh that makes the protagonist unlikable you know you can't because he goes kind of to the line right well that's the thing goes the line but he comes back that's the point exactly right so he comes back the ultimate family man He's the ultimate family gets man. Gets this temptation, you're right, which you're right. humanizes him for us in an right. odd way. Like, Very, yes, I have those yeah, feelings right. too. Really good part. But really good point. Then he goes back. Yeah, he to goes. The woman yeah, that he loves. that's right. right. But he still gets his yeah. win. Where like sums. I still got it. I still got it. I'm I not still going there. Got I still I got, got it. I still got it. Because isn't know? that? Let's 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 call a spade a spade. Isn't that really what it's about? Yeah, you want to feel... Still- you want to think you've still got it, and you've right. been married for 30 years, and some woman just thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, and you're suddenly alive because she's responding to you right there, and you're getting that support like, you still got it. Still got it. That's never knew you, haven't spent time with you, but I'm telling you, you got it. And that's what the temptation is. It's you want you want that in a long-term marriage, you know, you want that... that Hey, right here, right now, in this moment, it's all happening too. But in some ways, mm-hmm. I think maybe it even makes us trust the Griswolds or trust Clark because you're telling me it's he's steady. human too. He's human too. Right? Like, yeah. I know, hey, yeah. everyone has right. these feelings, okay? Right. And even yeah. the ultimate family man has them, but right. he makes the right choice. Right. It almost creates this kind of cool sense of trust. Well, yeah, it's it, true. It, Good point. See, you're a filmmaker. And it's so human because it's like when you get a sincere compliment, you remember that forever. Part of what we do is is look at the elements of these movies that make them resonate. But for I so think long, that's I why think they, they resonate I because agree with you. what is it that keeps this family together? Think of think of the things that they go through. And yet they don't really have knockdown drag out You're bites right. with each other. Of course dad blows his stack, but he blows his stack because he's been wronged about something that he wanted to give to his family. He never really you know, turns on his family ever. And he has anger and they all have have things that happen, but they stay together. And I think that it's it's And she's never wonderful. rolling her eyes at him. She's never Well, you know, maybe not on screen. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I agree no, with you. And yeah. so you Love. relate there's wish fulfillment, I think, in some ways of the family. Of course the teenagers don't want to be there. That's a typical trope for right. a teenager. Right. But you don't doubt the love, the devotion, the commitment between the couple and there's some wishful filming and watching yeah. and yearning for that. And you yeah. also talked about how audiences connect so strongly to you. Can they you talk do. a little As bit about that? I've, uh, what I've found, because I've met so many of the fans and they're wonderful, wonderful people. It's their family people. They're clear headed people. They're nice people. And, um, they're very invested in me as Ellen Griswold because I noticed that, like I said, oh, did you just did you see American History X or what about if you watched Andre? No, it's like Ellen, you got to be Ellen, you got to be Ellen. It's like they need me to be Ellen Griswold, and and it really was always an acting job, but it's become so real for them. And I will tell you that when I became a mother, I did have a few moments where I thought, 
oh, am I like in an Ellen Griswold mode here, you know, like trying to do this? But, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think I think you just said something really smart about the wish fulfillment. I think the investment mm-hmm. that the audiences have. I don't want to be too analytical. No, that's but what I, we do. I think that maybe part of the investment in the Griswold universe has to do with that aspiration that love mm-hmm. conquers all. Everything's going to be okay, no matter how bad it is. End of the day, martini. Can you talk a little bit about the moment in the movie when you grabbed Chevy's crotch? I've told other people, but I'll tell you how that came about. So, as I said, you'll see an awful lot of people there, right? As I said, Jeremiah was a first-time director, and he was from commercials. I've also kind of inherited, I think, by European vacation, I inherited the role of Chevy Whisperer. So it would be a weird dynamic, like nobody would want to say, Chevy, move over there, or Chevy, do this or do that, because it's Chevy, you know what I mean? And you don't know what he's going to say to you. He might get mad or not, but it, because he's such a kind, sweet, loving person, but he expresses himself in a sure. way that can, you know, make you, you know, anyway. Right. So um, I, I really was getting tired of being shunted around to accommodate other stuff because I was all like, what do you need me to do? Because I understood where the shots were and all that kind of stuff. And I had a little, uh, there was one day when when Chevy was delayed and delayed and delayed and uh, my I had a stand-in for years who looked so much like me that we used to whenever I was like 10. She did the roller coaster. She would do anything <laughs> if she was 20 feet away. Anyway, and she overheard him saying that the reason that we were behind was because all actors were children. And so we had this big group shot, and it was at the end of the day. And as you can see, all those people had to be in tune, in place, Mm -hmm. and it was a big, huge moment, and we didn't have time to mess it up. And I said to Chevy, listen, Jeremiah doesn't pay any attention to me at all. He's never watching what I'm doing because I was getting paranoid that I wasn't turning in a performance, right. you know, because I wanted to feel that like the director would say that was that was that, was, that was your best. I want I couldn't connect with him enough. And I said, he's not. I, uh, I bet I can put my hand on your. Oh, yeah, say whatever you want. Yeah, you know. Dick. And, and, and he, he won't, won't even notice. notice. <laughs> because it was one shot. It was called the Martini. Yes. Yes, the, the Martini's last the last one. Right? Yeah, it's okay. Right. It's the Martini, like, you know, time, time, It's time. late. We got to go. We're in a rush. I did it. And then um, we didn't have an alternative. But it's also, you know, oddly on story in the sense <laughs> that you're the wife, you're the protector. There is some subtlety there. There's a gun pointed yeah. at him and well, you're protecting him. It, it was. Right? I, mean, I didn't <laughs> think of it like that. <laughs> well, I was just being as an tricky. audience, maybe you can say, if they're in the edit room going, oh, gee. I'm changing that this, story completely. Look at that. You're protecting I've just the got family my P- jewels. I've got my PG story now. <laughs> you're protecting the family Alan Griswold jewels. knew the most sacred thing in the family were the family jewels. That's right. right? So it wasn't me just being a little brat <laughs> sure. and seeing what I could get away with. <laughs> Nick, who doesn't love free TV? Literally no one. Yeah, especially around the holidays, right? Everyone loves TV yeah. around the holidays. Well, while you might know that Vizio has TVs with the highest picture quality, did you know that they have this free streaming service called Watch Free Plus? I did not. Yep, you just connect your TV and it's right there with hundreds of free streaming channels. And it's like having cable, but it's free. Like free, free. It's free. Like free. And apparently they even have a 
channel that plays 24 straight hours of Christmas movies. I think a lot of people would like that. So you can get all this done from one TV that's Vizio. Christmas lights and leisure suits. Maybe if there's a knock on this movie, it's that it's not, um, doesn't, you know, rigorously adhere to plot. Right. By sort of reminding you always of what's at stake. It's nicely set up. We know what he wants. We know that he cares about it. But so much of the value of this movie are these really iconic scenes. Yeah. And it's, there's some vignettes to this, but in my mind, Christmas and Christmas is vignettes. As it builds mm -hmm. up in your, in your life after a while, you've got a bit of this year and that year, and this went wrong and that went wrong. And it just becomes Christmas. Yeah. And you remember moments, you remember things. And, you know, in, in, in typical Clark fashion, as we said, he's, um, he is really wanting to. Perfect Christmas. Perfect Christmas. And so the elements and ingredients that that include would be obviously the best Christmas lights on the block, maybe even the best Christmas lights in the city. I do one string and I almost kill myself every year. Yeah, most of us do. Super relatable things that he's doing, right? You can understand he's trying to decorate the house, but here it's it's almost like an apex moment. He's kind of done something. Now he hasn't completed his quest, which is right. the it, perfect Christmas. The, the other thing I like about the light scene is we get to lean in on our neighbors, our foils, mm. who are the kind of the Scrooge. They have no Christmas decorations. Yep. They drive a sob. They kind of get paid Their back. Their windows, for, they get paid back for being yuppies. And maybe this was sort of the first time that like yuppie was discussed, but we kind of love to hate yuppies, right? Yeah, they're, they're the wheatgrass and the workout outfits and all <laughs> and that. So, and what, and they're know. like matching workout outfits. They have, they have the eternal eye roll about everything that's not them. Horrible shit just keeps happening to them every time there's any Christmas magic present. So the lights come on, it blinds them, they fall, they break things. So I don't know if it's true, but to me, they're kind of symbolic of, you know, that hardened heart or those that don't see the magic of Christmas. And if you don't, uh, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. It's sort of the version of getting coal in the stocking. But what's interesting is the camera pans out a little bit. And, and there comes cousin another Eddie guess. <laughs> uh, the lovable cousin Eddie, who we've seen in several movies, and um, he makes their life. Randy Quaid, right. Randy Quaid in the, the first one, that's right. And there's really a wrinkle in this one and shows up. In his shitty RV. Shitty RV. There's such an interesting tone, too, in a way, in this movie. And he you think about Eddie in the first one and in this one, and he's wearing a blue leisure suit. He's kind of, right, always moving, but Randy plays it so well, it doesn't s suck you out of the movie. No, and it, it, there's an interesting thing where it's like, how, do, how does it work? Because it's hard to play that kind of character, and he's over the top so much, but he's so likable, and we know him so well. There's a lot of pretty crass stuff with his dog, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the dog's going to, you know, he says with the dog, it starts on your leg. You may as well let him finish, wear shorts. <laughs> and uh, and some of this stuff that it, it it's, I mean, it's like, did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? But it, it goes over, I think, with his heart. The good ones stay committed and you can get away with extreme stuff if you're really in it. If you're Absolutely. living in it and you're committed and you just don't break, you never wink and you never relent. And it's just. It's a testament, I think, to him that he can get away with a lot of stuff that's good, and we love him. He never feels like he's pulling us out of the movie. Even if he's in the background, he's just doing his own thing, and he is the character. Christmas eggs. I have kind of a favorite scene. It's a totally interesting scene in this movie, 
his family's left. He gets locked in the attic. Right. It's cold. And um, he starts to play some home movies. He finds the projector and he puts on some home movies. So let's Yeah, tell us a, a, little, a lot about him. Christmas is the time of I like it because they take a small break from the comedy, but you see how much he wants this Christmas and you kind of get a peek that as a, ch as a child, he had it yeah. and everyone's happy. And some of the same people that are now at the house are yeah. getting along. Yeah. Young versions. Yeah. And they're smiling and he's looking longingly and he's actually crying, yearning for this to happen for him. It's totally. And plus the music, it's Ray Charles. It's so good. Also, there's a little Easter egg in there. Um, the movie is called Christmas 59, right? His home movie, which we're implying, oh, it was the 1959 Family Christmas, but actually is the title of the short story that this movie is based on. Right, that he wrote for National Lampoon. It comes full circle here. So obviously it was something that was on John's mind. And then when this all kind of crystallized and it was time to get a Christmas movie made, this is what he drew on. I had read that, that John Hughes was a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. Yep, if you remember in that movie, there's this runner of the um, on the banister. Yeah, right? the top of the banister keeps the coming. The top up. of the banister, and it's this reminder for Jimmy Stewart, like just how his life is in shambles. Right? It's not. It's like not even attached. The things in his house don't even work. And there's this great moment where <laughs> Clark's running around with a chainsaw because he asked to replace the Christmas tree, and just his top of the banister gets nudged, and so he just <laughs> right. <laughs> Squirrels are us. How about the fan favorite working with the squirrel? The squirrel died. The, the, the train squirrel one. died. The train squirrel died. <laughs> On the set? Uh, I don't know how that happened. It was before PETA. It was a very busy set, yeah. believe me, because we were shooting not, not a couple of things at the same time. but So you got the untrained busy, busy. squirrel. We got an untrained squirrel, and that's why the squirrel that's on Chevy's shoulder most of the time is a stuffed one. Sure. Because the squirrel wasn't trained. How do you even train the squirrel? squirrel was the, the train was squirrel, squirrel, squirrel kind of trained? <laughs> or did the you train ever see the train squirrel in action? Yeah, it would, it would come out from underneath the tree on cue. It would jump up on you come and on. stuff. Yeah, but it yeah. died. The cat stays in the picture. So there's a scene, the cat is electrocuted. The cat's chewing on the Christmas lights. Yeah, that's right. Why don't we let's just take a look at the clip real quick. I told you you had too many plugs in one outlet. Oh God. Uh-oh. Okay, look, maybe notes are valid, but there's generally a couple ways to find out, right? If you're doing a sitcom, we would just say, well, let's just do the joke. Let's put it in front of the audience. If they laugh, then we have our answer. Or in this case, you'll test movies and you put it up in front of an audience, right? Same thing. If right. they laugh, if they like it, if they're not offended, it stays. Right. So the studio was afraid of this for a hundred reasons. <laughs> right. um, Didn't even, they, they wanted to pull from the movie before testing. And so they test this thing and this is the most popular scene. <laughs> it's the highest testing movie. scene. I don't know what that says about everybody, but. When you get test cards, it's like favorite scenes. And they're like, well, when you fried that cat, <laughs> they just right. love it. It is one of the favorite scenes and it was almost gone. So there you go. Now it's proof in the pudding. It's like kind of mic drop moment for the filmmakers. Obviously it stays. It's good. No one complained and said, oh, we're not going to watch this movie because you burned a cat. I mean, anyone that's taking that seriously, that the cat itself leaves an imprint that goes a foot deep into the floor with its fur around the edge. Like. 
It's like a crime scene cockpit <laughs> I know, for a cat. So good. Clark's rant. One of the most famous scenes in this movie resonates with people is is the Chevy Chase the rant. It's become so big that it's you can get it on coffee cups in small letters. You can get it on on <laughs> Christmas sweaters and calendars. And I I remember people kind of showing off their Christmas vacation prowess by being able to do the whole rant to each other in high school and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> If any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood Sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Vince told us that John Hughes loved those dailies of that rant, and then he felt really comfortable just letting the project go without him and go with God. Because yeah. he knew that he had comedic actors like yourself and Chevy and the rest mm -hmm. of the cast. And he knew Jeremiah could shoot it. John Hughes Jr. Johnson shared some of his oh, script oh, pages. Really? Oh, oh, oh! Are those are those cuts? <laughs> no, there. It's it's. I think from a line script, and it's his own notes that he made. How fascinating! It's pretty yeah, special. Yeah, you want to know how that was accomplished? Please. When Chevy goes into that rant, you will see shots of the family standing looking at him, and then with the rant, you will see him go. Very naturally. His eyes don't go from left to right, but he'll say something over there, and then he'll say something over there, and he'll say something here, and he'll say, he kind of moves around. We all had cue cards around our neck. It's fantastic. <laughs> so when he faced us doing the rant, we, and they weren't in order, so that... They were. They might even even have been numbered, but they weren't in order, so that he wouldn't just go. Like they were. So Brad, it was Diane last name because we wanted to get. We wanted to get it done. It's a hard monologue. It's a hard monologue, and also because it freed Chevy from having to to worry about his lines. Timeless classic. How is Christmas Vacation? Affected you. I mean, you know, you're you're part of a what is called now one of the classics. I mean, it is in people's top five, top ten families, historic classic Christmas movies. I've been asking a lot of people as I've been out on this press tour, who's their what's their favorite movie? And yeah, Christmas you're part of the family. Calms up a lot. Okay, what it's brought into my life is that I'm able to embrace this kind loving huge community of fans yeah. so it's given me everything because in 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 the journey to like really feel and i'm not trying to sound nar narcissistic no, but no, in the journey honest. to really feel centered and understand mm -hmm. what my gifts are what they are not what my role is as a mother as a person as a friend all that kind of stuff you know 
to be able to look around and to inhabit these spaces where people just, you know, I love that movie. I love Ellen. Clark and Ellen are great. It feels so good. Mm, and good. to be in a position where I'm not dependent on that for right. validation, it makes it's it an icing on the cake. 25 yeah. times more meaningful. That's great. Well, you have brought a lot of Do joy. You know what I'm, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Great. To a lot of people in the roles you did, and you've brought a lot of joy in this Christmas movie. I can feel a something similar. Isn't joy the best have. feeling? That's it's always what joy. I say. It's, it's I agree. joy. I say to get tired of it, I say it's, it's joy. Genuine because happy is fun. Yeah, but joy has an emotion in it. You know, you're, when you're joyous, you're, exactly you're like. Right. You have that love and happiness. It's a combo. It's not just like, hey, I'm happy. It's like, I'm joyous. That's and right. Christmas vacation has joy in yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Merry, Merry Christmas to Merry you. Christmas Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for Merry coming Christmas on the show. To you. All the love you gave us. It's one of those, you know, just super relatable explosions. The holidays are too much. The stress is all sinking in. Yeah, their house is trashed. He he yells at the, everybody, Christmas is blown. And... We're at one of those things that we love so much, the meeting of the mentor, and let's take a look how that plays out. This is a terrible night. Nothing's gone right. It's a disaster. But you losing your temper with the whole family only makes things worse, and you're too good a father to act like this. Nine years to come, you want your children and your family to remember all the love you gave us and how hard you tried to make the perfect Christmas. No, I just... You just cocked it up. It's okay. It happens. All our holidays were always such a mess. Oh, yeah. How did you get through it? I had a lot of help from Jack Daniels. <laughs> I love you. Dad? Yeah. Are you going to recite the night before Christmas? No. It's your house. It's your Christmas. I'm retiring. Yeah, that's great advice. You want kids to remember all the love you gave them, not how mad you got at them. You don't have to be perfect. He says, how did you get through it? A lot of Jack Daniels. Yeah, and his dad said, it's not perfect, Clark. Yeah, you cocked it up. Do what you got to do. Right. And that's relatable. By the way, everybody trying to put on Christmas, I think we aspire to that. Yep, And it's hard and it's not, and we want it to be great. The dad's saying, it's okay. You're too good of a father than to behave like this. Let it go. And he does. But at the very last second, he says that thing where he says, are you going to read? You know, he's asking, do you still want this? And his dad says, no, you take it. It's your house. Yeah. You're going to do this. He gives him the baton. And in that moment, Clark kind of accepts that. Which, by the way, is a very different energy. They're sitting, they're calm, they're listening. It's like you see some growth from Clark. Kidnapping gone right. All right, so we're headed towards one final showdown here. And this moment now leads us to the end of conflict. 17 years with the company. I've gotten a Christmas bonus every year but this one. If you don't want to give bonuses, fine. But when people count on them as part of their salary, oh, what you did is just plain... Sucks. Thank you, Russ. My cousin-in-law, whose heart is bigger than his brain... I appreciate that, Clark. ...is innocent. I'll be more than happy to take the rap on this. On behalf of myself and on behalf of every other employee you rear-ended this Christmas. Look, uh, sometimes things look good on paper, but uh, 
lose their luster when you see how it affects real folks. I guess a healthy bottom line doesn't mean much if to get it you have to hurt the ones you depend on. It's, it's people that make the difference. Little people like you. So, Carl, whatever you got last year, add 20%. Oh, Randy Quaid's character, Cousin Eddie, Cousin Eddie, who's presented as the problem. It's that character who delivers Brian Doyle Murray takes it literally. So by giving to him and doing the right thing by him, that character who's perceived as a problem is actually the solution to all of Clark's problems. By bringing him there, he's able to confront him and change his heart. The most troublesome relative is still family. And he, no matter what, he helps him out and it pays off in spades. You know, Clark's changed in this moment, right? Yep. He is, he's direct. He says, I'll take the rap for this. He's honest. He says, you were wrong, but he feels somehow different. He feels evolved. He feels changed. He would have not taken it like this earlier in the movie. That's right. And that, as a result, has a profound effect on Brian Doyle Murray's character. And he sees in these people something that you can't see in the bottom line. They keep it comedic when he refers to the little people, which is, is sort of a consistency in this movie. Yep. Things get a little dramatic. They they want to keep it funny. And so it, it's, it seems to me, and, and this might just be me, but why is there so many kidnappings in Christmas movies? Oh, because, that's interesting. And so we've got Eddie kidnapping the boss. In A Christmas Carol, the, the ghost kidnaps Scrooge and drags him all over the place. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Clarence kidnaps George Bailey, drags him all over the town, sort of the same thing. Nightmare Before Christmas, those rotten shitty kids, they kidnap Santa and they bring him to Oogie Boogie to kill uh, in the Santa Claus, the sleigh with the reindeer, they literally Shanghai Tim Allen. They drag him away. Rudolph with the red-nosed reindeer. Uh, the reindeer and Herbie get kidnapped by the big snowman thing. And Die Hard, Hans Gruber takes the hostages. And, of course, in Santa Claus versus the Martians, the godless Martians kidnap Santa Claus. So this is a lot of kidnapping. <laughs> I had never thought about that. In a lot That's of a Christmas. That's a pretty robust list. It's kind of a Christmas theme. All is well. So conflict is over. Clark's gotten the money. So that worked out uh, for our family, but uh, let's see how they all react to that. And there we it. go. Yeah, he did it. He, <laughs> he pulled uh, it off. He pulled it off. He exceeded his expectations, which were mm -hmm. very high. But it came down to what's really important. And again, that main question of what makes the perfect great Christmas, it's different for everybody, like I had said, but I think it comes back to those same things, which I think are, I mean, they're all happy. They're all dancing. And so when it comes down to it, it's about giving, forgiving, grace, and family. There's even... There's love. There's love. And there's genuine. And that's a very sweet, passionate kiss at the end from her, a devoted wife to 
you know, acknowledging her husband. You did it. You pulled it off. And and it's even a, bit, a little bit bigger because remember Clark had said earlier when he thought he was getting all this money for the pool. He said, if there's any money left over, I'll fly you all back out when we when the pool opens up and we're going to all be together again. And so that giving gesture paid off. There you have it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, a great movie. Great movie, no, another big holiday Christmas hit. <laughs> big fat holiday Christmas hit. Yep, it was one of the tops. Uh, well, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas. This was really fun. Um, this was great. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, same here. Uh, Merry Christmas to all. And yeah, all thanks for showing night. up.